We've got NFL news. We're talking about the Milwaukee Brewers as well as the NBA playoffs. And we'll wrap things up today with what I think is probably one of the most stupid hot takes in the history of sports talk radio, and we'll cover it all. Coming up next, it's the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. It's another edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillas. Thanks again for joining us and logging in and doing so on either Apple, Google, Spotify, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Glad to have you on board, as I said. And if you would gladly click that subscribe or like button, we would greatly appreciate it. As I noted in the intro, we've got some NFL news talking not only about the Green Bay Packers, but some other things happening in and around the NFL. We'll get to the Milwaukee Brewers. We'll talk some NBA playoffs and what has really been a bizarre conference finals in both the East and the West, as well as wrapping things up today, talking about one of the, I'll just go ahead and say it, dumbest hot takes, I think, I've heard in a long, long time. So let's kick things off with the NFL, as many teams are in the midst of uh, their voluntary OTAs. Aaron Rodgers obviously has not shown up, will not show up. He's staying away from the team until life becomes mandatory, so to speak. Um, This week, we heard from the new quarterback coach, Tom Clements, when he said, Aaron doesn't need reps at this time of the year. Obviously, it would be nice to have him here, But he's seen these things a thousand times, and he'll be ready to go when training camp starts. And I don't necessarily doubt what Coach Clements is saying there. It's the fact that in in the past, when he's missed these OTAs, he's had Devontae Adams. And we've talked about it before on this podcast, as well as others have talked about it on the various shows, whether you're watching it on TV or listening on the radio, the chemistry that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams had. And so you didn't need these reps during OTA. They just had this yin and yang thing going. And once training camp started, once the regular season started, boom, they were up and running. But we don't have Devontae Adams anymore. You have Randall Cobb, and bless his heart, we'll see how many games we can get out of Randall Cobb as he's getting up in age. And then you have Sammy Watkins, who signed as a free agent, as well as a number of other receivers who were lower on the depth chart, who obviously, like an Alan Lazard last year, streaking over the middle against the 49ers, where Aaron Rodgers, for whatever reason, didn't trust him and wanted to go for the big play with Devontae Adams. 
you've got this thing going on here where these receivers could use some reps with Aaron Rodgers. These receivers could benefit from having Aaron Rodgers in camp, knowing where he'll place the ball on certain routes. The quarterback, being Aaron Rodgers, will understand certain little uh, certain little nuances of these receivers when they're running their routes, like he already understood with Devontae Adams, in in gaining that knowledge as you make your way into training camp and the regular season. Now, again, this could be all for nothing. This could really amount to, you know, just giving us something to talk about here uh, towards the end of May. But I think to dismiss at this point Aaron Rodgers not being at OTAs, not because it will necessarily enhance Aaron Rodgers' skill set, but it will enhance his ability to quickly understand what his new receiving core is. Now, if he's staying away because management has essentially talked with Aaron Rodgers and said, listen, we're going to make another couple of moves, so this receiving core that we have right now, we don't necessarily believe that's what we're going to have when we enter training camp, then I think you may have an argument. But if the Packers are saying, Aaron, go ahead, it's okay to stay away, then you have to begin to wonder how much control does Aaron Rodgers have and what kind of predicament is he putting the Green Bay Packers in? I still believe, whether whether it's factual or not, it's just a belief that I have, that Aaron Rodgers ultimately put the price tag at $50 million believing the Packers weren't going to be able to match it in trying to keep him and Devontae Adams and Jair Alexander and all of those other things. So he set the price tag rather high, believing he was getting out of Dodge, so to speak. And when the Packers were able to find the money to sign him, I'm still not convinced he's not trying to subliminally, subliminally, as he says five times fast, or passively trying to really screw over the Green Bay Packers who he felt dissed by not a season and a half ago. Listen, this is the same guy who didn't show up at his brother's wedding because they're still in the midst of a family feud. One thing Aaron Rodgers has shown, he does not forget. And in doing so, by doing some of the things that he's doing right now, I still, in the back of my mind, wonder if they are subtle digs to the Green Bay Packers because of him, as was reported unbelievably throughout the draft from two years ago now that he was being dissed. And so it'll it'll play itself out, obviously, and we'll wait to see. And once he gets on the field, you know, Aaron Rodgers has shown he, he can perform. But I just think when you don't have a receiving core yet that has solidified itself the way maybe the offensive line has or the running backs or some of the positions on the defensive side of the ball, it would really be nice to have Rodgers at OTAs. So we'll wait and see how that one plays out as well. Some other news in and around the NFL is the NFL has announced the scouting combine will remain in Indianapolis through 2024. Now, not only is that great for the city of Indianapolis because, A, it's a centralized location. So you've got this centralized location for players, agents, coaches, front office executives, 
it's accessible for everyone, essentially, because of its location. And number two, I think the bigger picture is, is that the fact that the combine has been secured there until 2024, I just wonder if after 2024, if the NFL is looking to alter the combine a little bit. You've seen this year, last year, and the year prior, you had some prominent names that have bypassed the combine because it's become a little bit archaic. All the numbers that are gathered at the combine are gathered throughout the year at the various universities where these young men play football. The biggest component about the combine is the physical and the interviews that take place with coaches and front office personnel. So I just wonder if the fact that the NFL has announced that the Combine, as I said, will stay in Indianapolis through 2024 and not extended it any further than that. Not necessarily that I think the NFL wants to move the Combine. I'm wondering what could be on the table as far as restructuring it. And that will be something to keep an eye on as well. And finally, with regards to the NFL, they've announced that they are looking into finally finally looking at changing some of the format in and around the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl has become, uh, I hate to say it this way, as far as the game. Let's, let, let's make sure we're talking about that. As far as the game, the Pro Bowl has become a bit of a joke. These guys make way too much money to want to put themselves out there and risk injury. And injury can happen at any point no matter if you're going half speed or full speed. But within the pandemic, I think the NFL realized that the Pro Bowl, as it stands right now, it just it's not working out anymore. And it has nothing to do whether it's in Hawaii, Florida, Vegas, makes no difference. The game in and of itself is not what it used to be. And so now the NFL is looking into some alternatives. One alternative that was published on NFL.com is that they're possibly looking at flag football. Stop. Don't make it a joke. Don't make it a joke. Don't let it flag football. Come on. Here's, Here's my suggestion to the NFL. If the NFL takes it, you can send the check to the 414 Sports Podcast. And if suddenly the 414 Sports Podcast is no longer existing, it's because the NFL wrote me a big check and I'm sitting on a beach someplace uh, with my golf clubs next to me. Use that weekend to honor those players who have achieved Pro Bowl status. Do an award show. You already have an award show. Just Highlight the Pro Bowl players a little bit more than what you have in the past. Do a skills challenge. Quite honestly, now, especially like with the NBA, the skills challenge, and I guess I'll say it too as well as hockey, the skills challenge is probably the most entertaining portion of those All-Star weekends. The only major league professional sporting event from an All-Star perspective that still holds its ground is baseball. Baseball's all-star game still holds its weight as a game. All of the other sports, because of the risk of injury, have backed off a little bit. And so when you watch some of the highlights of the Pro Bowls of the last few years, you know, you've got linemen going half speed. You get a half effort when it comes to tackling. Those types of things. 
So take this, just make it into a celebration, make it into an award ceremony. Let these guys come to Vegas, Hawaii, Florida, wherever it is you're going to have the event and simply use it as a celebration, add a skills component to it and call it a day because the game itself is not eh, worth watching. Now, it could be different when you're at the game to be in attendance, to see all the stars there, to see your favorite players on the field. But it, it's just they're going through the motions, and it's made it pretty much ridiculous. And I think the TV ratings have shown that as well. So we'll wait and see what the NFL decides to do. But as I said, I think they would be just better off making it into an awards presentation, celebrate those that have earned Pro Bowl honors, and then call it a weekend. Don't don't even bother trying to put the game out there. So again, it's under consideration as reported by Nick Shook, NFL.com. He's an NFL writer that they're considering altering what is the Pro Bowl. So hopefully it will honestly come sooner than later. But again, something to think about as time moves forward. Let's take a break. On the other side of the break, we're talking some Brewer baseball. A lot of things happening both on and off the field with our home Major League team. And we'll get to it right after this. All right, so let's talk about those Milwaukee Brewers who are on or in, I should say, the midst of a two-game losing streak, still sitting on top of the NL Central, 26-16 and 16 overall, a two-game advantage over the St. Louis Cardinals. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, so a little bit above 500. It was a heartbreaker last night on the West Coast as they fell to the San Diego Padres 3-2, to two in 10 innings, which again has them now sitting in the midst of a two-game losing streak. After winning back-to-back series at home, winning that series against the Braves, winning that series against the Nationals, and in winning that series against the Nationals, one thing I think to keep an eye on, and I know Craig Council, at least outwardly looking in, likes to rest some players on Sunday, especially when they have in essence, the series wrapped up. But how many Sundays does it seem the Milwaukee Brewers come up on the short end with that sort of philosophy? I don't know if it means anything moving forward. I mean, wins do add up, obviously, over the course of a season, and especially right now with the Cardinals only being two games back. And we've talked about how we want to make sure we bury the Cardinals as far down as we can before we get to late August and into September, but I just wonder how those Sunday losses have added up in years past for the Milwaukee Brewers and what it's done for them moving into the playoff picture. So I it, it, I don't have any stats in front of me. It's just more of an observation than anything else. couple of notes with regards to the pitching staff as the Brewers will be back at it against the Padres tonight 
I believe it's an 8.40 first pitch Milwaukee time. They have a late, what will be for us, a late afternoon game tomorrow, a little bit after 3 o'clock as far as the first pitch out in San Diego goes for these next two against the Padres. But of note, Josh Hader has left the team uh, for family reasons. Uh, Josh Hader's wife has had some complications with her pregnancy, and they are at a stage right now within that pregnancy that uh, Josh Hader does not feel comfortable leaving to go on the road, and you have to respect that. Um, He's stepping away right now at a time when he's got 15 saves and 21 strikeouts. His, His performance, once again, as a closer, has been unbelievably spectacular for the Milwaukee Brewers, but obviously... A, uh, a a young hater coming into the world uh, is definitely more important than some saves right now for the Milwaukee Brewers. So the pitching staff, especially the bullpen, is going to have to answer the call in Josh's absence while he deals with life at home. And and hopefully, hopefully, as as we we will wish and pray that his wife's uh, pregnancy down the stretch here will be okay and that the baby will be brought into this world healthy and strong. And once that happens, then Josh can rejoin the team. So our best wishes to the Hater family, that is for sure. Freddie Peralta, though, will be missing significant time as well due to some right shoulder uh, soreness, a strain that the MRI showed that he had here just a couple of days ago. And Craig Council says that he will miss significant time. In doing so, Aaron Ashby is expected to step into that rotation and join Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, and Adrian Hauser as the starters for the Milwaukee Brewers. So once again, Brewers fall last night 3-2. to two. They'll get back at it tonight, 8.40 our time against the San Diego Padres at Central Standard Time. And then tomorrow it'll be an afternoon affair in which we can see the Brewers here locally at 3.10. And I have a feeling we'll find that on Bally's Wisconsin. Let's take a break. On the other side of it, let's get into what has been a very, very strange NBA conference finals on both the east and the west sides of things. And we'll get to it in just a moment. All right, let's talk about those NBA playoffs as obviously both the Eastern and Western conferences are in the midst of their finals trying to figure out who will represent those conferences playing for the NBA championship. Let's start first on the West as the Dallas Mavericks tonight are trying to hold off elimination. The Golden State Warriors just one win away with a potential chance to sweep this evening against the Dallas Mavericks. Stephen Curry has been who Stephen Curry is. I'm. It's amazing to watch him shoot 
and what he can do from the perimeter is simply astounding. And in the last game, to take that three towards the end, look at the bench and just say night-night. I mean, the confidence level with the Warriors is a bit off the charts. Now, let's remember the Warriors have made some moves during the offseason that have put some components in place that have really bolstered this team, especially coming down the stretch. One is Jordan Poole. Hello, Milwaukee. Rufus King High School graduate who's having a spectacular end of, end of regular season and playoff run for the Golden State Warriors, as well as Andrew Wiggins. Remember, Andrew Wiggins was a highly touted prospect that was going to change the world for the Minnesota Timberwolves. It didn't work out, and lo and behold, he ends up at Golden State. And his play on both ends of the floor has been something to behold, and it's one of the reasons why right now you see the Golden State Warriors having the opportunity to sweep Dallas in their building. I I think it's going to be really hard. I think Dallas is going to summon up uh, everything they have to not get swept. I don't know if Dallas has enough now to come back from being down 3-0 to win the Western Conference, but I just I, I feel as if they have enough to try and at least get a game, head back to San Francisco, and then if they lose, they lose, but at least they don't get swept. On the Eastern side, has this been one of the craziest Eastern Conference finals we've seen in a long time? Miami absolutely obliterates the Boston Celtics in the second half of game one, gets the win. Boston, on the road, takes care of business against Miami, and so we're tied at one. We go to Boston, and the same scenario happens again. And so now we're sitting with both teams tied at two heading into game five. And the thing that I took away from Monday night's game in which Boston won 102-82 was if you just look at the stat line, though Miami lost by 20, it wasn't as if Boston was shooting lights out per se like they did against the Bucks. You know, one of the things that Boston did so well against Milwaukee was hit from outside the arc. And when we started going down, what happens? You start taking threes a bit more than what you want because you're trying to get back into the game. And when they're not falling, suddenly the deficit just increases like this, this huge chasm before you know it. But you look at the stat sheet last night, and both teams were equally, hmm, shall we say, pathetic from the floor. Miami shoots 33%, Boston 39%. 39% not terrible, but not well enough that you should be winning by 20. From the arc, from the three-point range, Miami was 14 of 36 for 38%. Boston was only 8 of 34 for 23%. They did shoot 84% from uh, the free throw line, while Miami only shot 57% on 8 of 14, but they out-rebounded Miami by 21. And in doing so, gave themselves more opportunities, more opportunities to come away with the victory. They also, 
outscored Miami in the paint by 10. This has just been a crazy series. I mean, when you look at the score, you think Boston had to just be on fire, but they had a level of intensity that Miami seemingly couldn't match, and Miami's had some injuries now. You get somebody like Tyler Hero from right here in the Milwaukee area who's out now with a groin injury. You've got one of those shooters that had been coming off the bench not available and not provide that extra scoring boost. This, to me, has a real resemblance in some fashions of that Dallas-Phoenix series. Remember in the Dallas-Phoenix series, each team won at home until they got to Game 7, and then Dallas stole one on the road to get to where they are now. So far in this series, these teams have split in these back-to-back home games, so to speak, for whoever it is at home. You get the feeling this is going to go seven, and then the fact that Miami having the higher seed will get the home court advantage in game seven, I wouldn't be surprised if Boston stole it. It's just been one of those crazy series, so we'll just sit back and enjoy and see who comes out of each conference right now looking like Golden State out of the West. But out of the East, this is this is anyone's game. Boston on paper looks like they should take care of business, but give Miami a whole lot of credit because they found ways to win when seemingly they had they had no heartbeat going into the next game. And so what we saw was Boston beat Miami in their place, and everybody thought, whoa, Miami must be done. And then they walked into the garden and handled the Celtics in that first game, the game game three, excuse me, in the garden, and then Boston rebounded. It's just been one of those back-and-forth series, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that. We're going to get ready to close things out. I'm going to get ready to close things out with what I thought was the hottest take, the stupidest hottest take. There, I was trying. I was trying to be eloquent about it, but I can't. It's the stupidest, hottest take I've heard in a long, long time, and I'll share it with you on the other side of this. All right, let's wrap it up with something I heard over. The last, oh, we'll say 24 hours. And it came from Canty and Carlin, who are on locally, as far as the 414 goes, from 2 to 6 on ESPN Radio. And what what transpired actually happened on, on Greeny, the Mike Greenberg show on ESPN, in the morning, on Monday morning. Uh, Greeny obviously doing a lot of hosting duties with the NBA playoffs for ESPN and Canty and Carlin filling in and and really doing a nice job when they fill in for Mike Greenberg as well as their own show. I, I enjoy the show. It's an entertaining show. And I get sometimes you have to kind of throw things out there to keep the conversation going, right? You, you've got to be uh, controversial sometimes. You've got to throw some things that you know are a bit outlandish uh, in order to just go from day to day to day. But on Monday, Chris Carlin made this statement, and I'm going to paraphrase, and in paraphrasing, I hope I'm giving it justice, and essentially said, 
the most disappointing performance that occurred in the midst of the PGA Championship was Tiger Woods. Now listen, you can, you can stand wherever you do with regards to Tiger Woods. There are some people who are back on the bandwagon. There are some people because of his actions uh, over the years have definitely shunned Tiger. But it's obvious from the sporting world that Tiger once again is a huge storyline. Tiger again qualified for the weekend by making the cut and he's doing so coming off of what was that horrendous car accident, that injury to his leg, where I think the average person would just be happy to be able to walk. Not only is he walking, but he's playing competitive golf at the highest levels. And he made it to the weekend. He played Saturday, shot the poorest round of his professional career in a major on Saturday. But you could tell with... Uh, I'll say some just some of the hills, the terrain of Southern Hills Golf Course in Oklahoma. It was wearing and tearing with that injury. And so when it got time to talk about pairings for Sunday, Tiger Woods withdrew. It, it had just gotten to be too much. And, and you can't blame him. Of course, there are others that will be out there and, and essentially say that, well, because he shot such a poor round, he didn't want to show his face on Sunday. I don't necessarily get that. It was a win for Tiger to make it to the weekend. He tried on Saturday. Life got to be a little bit too rough as far as the terrain goes on that injured leg, and it was time to just back off and get some rest. But to think that because he A, withdrew, or B, played poorly on Saturday, like that's the most horrific moment or the worst thing that happened in the PGA Championship. That, to me, was just the dumbest thing I had ever heard. The man is playing on a rebuilt leg, so to speak. I wish I, I, wish I could underscore the old $6 million man theme right here. But he's playing on a rebuilt leg where we're looking at just over a year ago, we were wondering if Tiger was even going to be able to walk, not only walk, but would he even have the opportunity to play golf, not even thinking about competitively. And he's gotten himself rehabbed back to the point where he played in the Masters, made it to the weekend. He played down in the PGA Championship, got to the weekend, but it got to be a little bit too much. So now it's time to head overseas and think about the Open because as you play Royal St. Andrews, a little bit flatter than what you saw at Southern Hills in Oklahoma. I don't know necessarily how that will play with the U.S. Open, but we'll wait and see. But to think that Tigers play on Saturday and his withdrawal was the worst thing within the PGA Championship, I think you got to revisit that. So, Chris Carlin, I, I appreciate the fact that you were trying to stir up some conversation, but that I'm sorry, that line was just idiotic. All right, let's wrap it up for this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Thank you, as always, for logging in and joining us. Please hit that like and subscribe button. Make sure you take care of one another. I'm Don Wachillis. Have yourself a great day.